morning. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's on page 338. If you're using one of our Bibles, feel free to get up and grab one of those from around the room. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. Before we jump in, on Wednesday night at the cannery at 7 p.m., we're going to have a, a huge night of just uh, worship and celebration and baptisms. And so if you come here and, and you've just been stirring, you've been feeling in your heart that you're supposed to give your life to Jesus in baptism, I invite you to fill this card out and to drop it in one of the white give boxes, one of the mailboxes on the way out, and someone from our team, Nana or Andrew or myself, or someone from our team will get with you and answer any questions that you have. And so love for you to, to, to do this on Wednesday night, to go down into the water, you know, you're dead to your sin, and you come up and you're alive to Christ, and for, for you to allow us to celebrate with you. And then for the rest of us, if, if you've given your life to Jesus, if, if you don't have anything going on Wednesday night, even if you do, cancel your plans and come and, and worship. And, and I know so often you're like, man, he's talking to somebody else. Hey, no, hey, if you're here, I'm I'm talking to you. I want, I want you there on Wednesday night. I'm talking to you. Like, come and, and experience the Lord in just a little bit different way. And so Wednesday night, seven o'clock at the cannery. Love for you guys to be there uh, as, we, as we worship and, and celebrate. And so, man, I'm, I'm excited. You guys doing well this morning? Okay. I need to calm down. I'm a little jittery um, in, in a good way. Um, let's do this. Um, so today marks the last day of our month-long journey that we've been in, that we've been in uh, of prayer and fasting. And, uh, you know, for those of you, as, as you kind of think about the, the past month, for those of you who have been enriched in this season, for those of you who've experienced the Lord, for those of you who've experienced Him in, in powerful and new ways, I, I want to just encourage you this, this week, and even today, just to thank God. Because reality is that God did exactly what God said God would do, that, that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, that we will receive, the door will be open and we will find. And so for, for you to just spend some time in his presence thanking him, it's, it is no small thing that, that you sought God and you laid some things aside and you pressed into his heart. It is no small thing that you sought him and you found him this, this month. For those of you who come in this morning and you haven't had this just kind of profound month, I know we're all over the board. Some you didn't participate. Some you, uh, you, you just didn't have the, the, you didn't, what am I trying to say? You didn't do what you'd hoped to do in terms of praying and fasting. And so you come in this morning and you feel a little defeated. You feel some shame. Some of you, you participated and, and there were no real breakthrough and there were no real answers. And so I know it's easy to come in and just to be discouraged if this month hasn't gone the way that you wanted it to. And I want to say this, you know, a couple things. As, as a church family, um, we're, we're not a church that primarily celebrates the things that we do, okay? That we are a church primarily that celebrates the things that, that Jesus does. And so we don't come into this church, walk through those doors and, and go, God, look at all these amazing things that we've done to you. Because we understand that we do, do some great things for God, but we also do some pretty horrific things, right? All of us, like... And so we don't come into this church as people who primarily just come bearing the good works that we've done. And so if you are going, man, I've, I missed it this month, or I didn't participate at all, man, it's okay. I just keep thinking, you know, this, this isn't a sprint. And we're trying to become more like Jesus over a lifetime. And so if you didn't see fruit in this past month, don't be discouraged. What I know of our Heavenly Father is if, if you pressed into the Lord at all, there's some good things that happen. You know, anytime my kids, I have three little kids, my oldest, Finley, she's five and she'll say this line to me sometimes. Hey, Dad, I just want some me and you time. And you know what I say to her when she says that? No way. <laughs> I don't want to spend time with you, right? No, that's not what I say. 
And the reality is that, that it's about this relationship that's developing and strengthening. But we have to understand it's this relationship. And while I, I, I always want these epic moments, right? Not every moment with Finley is gonna be skiing in Colorado. Sometimes it's sitting at the table playing old maid. <laughs> right, and the same thing with God. This is a, a marathon, this is not a sprint. I wanna recap kind of where we've been in the series, Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, started in Nehemiah chapter one, and his heart was just broken over the predicament of other people. And God moves him to do something about other people's predicament, and he perseveres despite opposition. And last week, we looked at this powerful moment where the people of God had been blessed because of what Nehemiah had done. And if you remember, they, they found themselves that, that the word of the Lord was being read, the scriptures were being read, and for six hours, they're, they're hearing these things. And it says that they're, they're weeping, and, and Nehemiah and Ezra, their leaders, look at them, and they say, hey, don't weep. And the reason they can say that is because it's clear that, that your hearts, that, that your tears are an indication that your heart has returned to the Lord. And it's not a, a day to, 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 to mourn and grieve. It's a day to celebrate the fact that your heart has come back to the living God. And so we ended last week that the people were sent to feast, right? To, to eat good food, to drink good wine. We've been in the series that we've been calling Awaken Us. And our desire has, has been across our campuses across our church is that, is that God would just, he would wake us up to who he is, that, that God would wake us up to the predicament of, of those around us, to, the, to those around us in, in both physical and in spiritual need, that, that this month the plea has been, God, don't just pour into me, God, but, but wake me up. This morning, the question I want to look at is, Okay, we've been talking about waking up. But, but how do you know when, when a community begins to wake up? So we're gonna continue the book of Nehemiah and, and what we see just like last week is that, is that God so often goes to the heart like God will stir Zach's heart or he'll stir Kate's heart. And it begins to change us here that God goes after his people to, to change us on a heart level. And when God begins to get this, when he gets our heart, you start to see some external things. You start to see some fruit. And so I wanna look at, man, what are, what are some of the fruits? What are some of the things that we see in the book of Nehemiah that happen when a spiritual community starts to wake up? So the first thing that I think we see, and we're gonna cover four chapters today, but we're not gonna cover it like comprehensively like we have. We're gonna kind of uh, read a few verses and and uh, I'll trust that you guys can read and fill in the gaps. But in eight chapter, or chapter eight, verse 13, the, the first thing that I think that you see when a, a spiritual community comes alive, it begins to wake up, is that, that there's ownership of their spiritual journey. If you're note-taking, you write that down, that there's ownership of their spiritual journey. And so this is what happens in chapter eight, verse 13 in Nehemiah on page 338. It says, on the second day, the heads of the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. And so if you remember last week, it was day one. Day one was, was they gathered to Ezra, and, and the word was read, and, and, they, and, they, fat, and, and they, they and they feasted that night. And day two, this is the very next day. This is what they did the very next day, and it's this beautiful thing where they come to Ezra, and they crack open the word. And what you see here is that, that in the Israelites' minds, in their heart, that they realize that they wanted to be God's people, but they didn't know what it meant to be God's people. You see, their parents hadn't taught them. 
They've been living in a metaphorical spiritual desert for 140 years. They, they, they did not know what it meant to be in relationship with God. They didn't know the, the depths of who God is. And I kept thinking about, you know, they, they had this reality that, that they don't know everything there is to know about God. And the same is true for us. Right when I started dating my wife, back when I was a sophomore in college, and even to this day, you know, I didn't know everything there was to know about her when we started dating. And because a woman's mind is complex, I still don't know everything there is to know about her, right? And, and she doesn't know everything there is to know about me. And that's the way it's supposed to be because it's this journey of learning and growing and, and, and we don't know everything there is to know about God. I love this passage of scripture. Someone turn to Romans chapter 11. I'm gonna invite you to stand up and read this so we can hear it. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. First person that gets there, just stand up and read it. Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Read it loud so everyone can hear. Thanks, Logan. You killed that. Great job. Romans 11 is just this beautiful picture of the bigness of God. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that so often we feel defeated before we even get started. And this, couldn't, this might not be true at all, but I've just kind of sensed that, that there's like a heaviness on, on your hearts. I was telling Dave this like a month ago. I said that, he's, you know, he and I talk, he's a pastor over at Cannery and he and I talk on Sunday afternoons and he said, hey, how was today? And I said, I, I just sense that, that as people are walking through the door today, that, that the enemy has been so at work that it's hard for us to even believe that God is good, that, that we belong. And I think so often we, we come in here and we feel so unbelievably defeated before we even step through the doors because we don't know enough or because we haven't been good enough. And I love what the Israelites do. They had this, this wake up moment where they go, man, if, if we wanna be God's people, we have to know what it means to be his people. And so they do this beautiful thing and, where they essentially just raise their hand and they say, hey, we're responsible. They realize that it's not someone else's job to help grow them up spiritually. They had this moment where they realize it's not someone else's job to spoon, food, spoon feed them. That if, if they wanna know God, if they wanna know what it means to be in relationship with God, they have to take some ownership of their spiritual journey. You know, growing up, I don't know if you guys had moms or dads or grandmothers or grandfathers. I don't know who you grew up in a house with, but my mom, would wake me up every morning, like until I went to college. Like, did any of you guys have moms or dads like that? There are a few of us that are not ashamed to raise their hands that are irresponsible. And, uh, you know, my, my mom would, would wake up, she'd wake me and my sister and brother up and say, hey, you, get, you gotta go to school today. And then there was something that, that changed when I went to college. Like, I bought a clock, <laughs> put it in my dorm room, I set my alarm. I went to class and I studied and, and, and there was this, this shift that happened where I realized that, man, that, that, that my mom couldn't be responsible for me. 
That part of growing up was, was me raising my hand saying, I have to take some ownership. Like if, if I want to do this ministry thing, I got to get my butt out of bed and to study and to go to class. And the Israelites have this moment where they go, man, if we want God, it's a matter of us just choosing to say, hey, I, I will. I will take ownership of my spiritual journey. And, and you begin to see a community that wakes up when, when you see a community of people that go, yeah, I'm gonna take ownership of my spiritual journey. I think the second thing that we see in, in Nehemiah chapter nine, verses one through three, is that, that a community that begins to wake up is a community that takes ownership of their sin. So you see this in Nehemiah chapter nine, verse one, it says, on the 24th day, the Israelites gathered together fasting, wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. And so this, this just, this hit me. James, the brother of Jesus says this. James chapter three, verse two, he says, we all stumble in many ways. John, one of the apostles of Jesus says this in 1 John chapter one, verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. There's something so powerful, that, that imagery of, of purification. You think about water that, that has been purified. It takes out all the things that, that our bodies don't need. It takes out all the bad things so that we're getting it at its, pure, at its purest form at its best form. And I love this picture. A community that's fully awake is a community that goes, yeah, we have sinned. Because the community trusts in the bigness of God, the forgiveness of God. A God that, that looks at us and, 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 and the only thing that he demands from us is that we would bring things into the light because in the light, he can deal with them. In the light, the enemy has no power. In the light, the enemy can't shame us. In the light, the enemy can't keep us down. In the light, you know what you find when you confess sin? You find freedom. And confessing sin is never fun, but it always leads to this place of freedom. It always leads to this place of freedom. So eating lunch with one of my friends the other day. And realized that he had, he had never, he'd never confessed sin before. He'd been walking with the Lord for a long time. And some of you go, man, I've, I've never confessed sin before. So we're sitting at lunch and, and, and he starts to open up and he starts to confess sin to me. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy's, he's never confessed and he's just opening up to me right here. And he gets done and I, and, I, and I go, man, how, like, I didn't force it out of him. I wasn't like digging. He just, out of the overflow, he wanted me to know. And I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel better. That there's this weight that is lifted when, when you confess sin, when you bring it into light, when you can look in the eyes of a brother or a sister and you see that they don't condemn you and you start to believe that God doesn't condemn you either. You know, I love what, what, what James and what John, they teach us is, is it, it, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't, they don't tell us how many people you have to confess to or what that looks like. You know, I've often found, I try to be confessional to you all so that you're not scared. 
But I have some, some really close friends that, that I don't let everyone into the, the places in my heart, like every place, and you shouldn't either. You shouldn't trust every single person, right? But there's some people that, that you trust, that you know, that you know won't judge you, that you know won't condemn you. Find some people to confess to. And you start to see a community that comes awake when, when a community doesn't pretend like they don't have any sin. In a community that starts letting God come in to heal. And when the reality is that, that when you confess, it always leads to this place of worship. It just does. I love in verse three, it says that they confess sin for a quarter of the day. And I'm like, they had a lot of stuff to confess, right? Like, but then they worshiped. Why? Because they realized they'd been forgiven. It's fine when we come in here close your eyes and you let your hands up and you, and you sing and you, and you let go. It's not an indication of, of how good you are. So often people that come in here and worship and, and let go, it's, it's because they understand how good God is. And when you experience forgiveness, man, you experience worship. Third thing that I think we see in this text is, is that when a community starts to wake up, what you see is that they take ownership of their story. Nehemiah chapter nine, verses six through 38, it's this beautiful prayer that, that recounts the story of God in the Old Testament. So if you've never read the Old Testament and you just kind of want to read the cliff notes, read verses six through 38 sometime this afternoon. It's this beautiful synopsis. My kids, as they grow up, one of the things that they are learning and uh, one of the things that I'm learning still is that the whole universe doesn't revolve around them. So when we sit down to, to eat dinner, there's a seat that Finley and Jones, for whatever reason, like they both want to sit there. And every night it's a fight. And Finley learns that, that when she doesn't get her way, like when Jones gets to sit there, or when Jones is playing with a toy and, and Merritt goes up to Jones to try to take that toy out of her hand and we're like, no, you can't, you can't do that. And she throws a fit. Like they're, they're being confronted with this reality that the whole world doesn't revolve around them. But at the very same time, my wife, Courtney and I, we do everything in our power to protect our kids and to love our kids and to provide for our kids. You see, the Israelites, they, they are confronted with this this reality that they are not the center of the universe. And how do they know that? Because they've been living in slavery for 140 years. And when you're living in the center of the universe, you're king, you're queen. And they had this wake up like, oh yeah, it doesn't, like everyone doesn't do what we want. And yet at the same time, they had this moment where they realized that, the, that, that although they're not at the center of the universe, the one who is in the center of the universe has given his heart to these people and given his covenant to these people. And they begin to understand that in this great story that God has been writing, since the very beginning, they begin to understand that they're a part of it. And what they see and what they, they, what they, what they were reminded of as they look back on the history is that God has been so faithful. That God hasn't given up on them. That that flame is still lit. You see, and for us to, to understand that, that we are not the most significant ones in the universe. Our little church is not the most significant church in the universe. 
but we are significant to the one who is. We matter. You matter, Alex. You matter, Kate. You matter, Hannah. Summer, you matter. We matter. And for us to understand our story, that there's something that happens, the community starts to wake up when they understand the story that they're a part of. And what's our story? That Jesus came. Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus rose three days later, that Jesus ascended into heaven, that Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, that Jesus is preparing a place for us, that Jesus will return for us. Our story, the story that you and I get to choose if we're gonna live in and be a part of, is that because of Jesus, we are not sinners. And we are not just servants. No, because of Jesus, we are sons and we are daughters of the Most High God. Because of Jesus, we are co-heirs with Christ of God. That because of Jesus, we have been seated in the heavenly realms. I love this passage in 1 John chapter 3. Someone, I want to invite you, someone to read that. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. First one there, just stand up and read it. Read it loud, please. Yeah. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us, that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. But what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. And, and for us to understand, that, man, that, that we are the children of God. You know, Nana said this powerful thing on Thursday in our teaching meeting. She said, so many of us, we come in and we think that sin is our story. We think that our story is primarily that we are sinners. And, and, and she goes, no, our story is that we are saved, that we are seated, that we are children of the most high God. And yeah, we stumble and yeah, we do get caught up in sin, but we are sons and we are daughters. And for us to start living like that. And when you tell yourself, man, I'm just a sinner, you're shortchanging what God has done in your life. And a community starts to wake up and we start to go, no, we are sons and daughters. And we're not arrogant about it because we understand that we got in the family only because of Jesus, not because of how so good we are. But we claim that. And a community starts to wake up when they start to live in, when they start to claim, take ownership of their story. I think the fourth thing that we see in Nehemiah chapter 10 is that they take ownership of their side of the relationship. There's ownership of their side of the relationship. So Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 through 39, you can go back and, and read this later, but it's just, it's just this really powerful moment. You ever been to a wedding and a, a husband and a wife are standing up at the altar, wherever it is, and only one of them made vows? You ever been to a wedding like that? Where the bride's like, I'm gonna love you, you know, sickness and health, death to his part. And the groom just stands there, like. And I was taking to, to that imagery this week as I was thinking about this text, how often, like, we treat our God like that. That we come to God and, and, and we're like, hey, you save me. 
and you forgive me and you strengthen me and you provide for me and you heal me and you sustain me and you strengthen Just think about all the things that we come to God and we ask for. And he tells us to ask for these things, right? But I just kept thinking about how one-sided it is. And yet, what do we offer God? Like, what do we come and, and, and look God in the eyes and like, what are the things that we're uttering to him? What faithfulness are we, are we committing to, to our God? And what's happening in, in Nehemiah chapter 10 is these people start to wake up and, and they have this moment where they go, God, we're gonna do what you ask us to do. And so in verses uh, 28 through the end of the chapter, they're saying essentially two things. The first is this, we're gonna obey you. We're gonna read this and we're gonna actually do the things that you tell us to do. And the second thing that, that they essentially say is, hey, we're gonna to tend to the temple. And so the temple was a place of worship. It was a place of atonement. It was a place where men and women went to receive forgiveness. The temple was this place where all nations could come and pray. This is what Isaiah chapter 56 says, that it will be a house of prayer for all nations. And the Israelites go, God, you've been so faithful to us. You've been so kind to us. You've been so gracious. You've been so merciful. And they just keep saying this. We will. We will obey you. We will tend to the temple. You see, my family, my sisters, my brothers, when God awakens our hearts, when we begin to connect the dots in our lives of God's activity, of God's pursuit of us, when God begins to wake us up to, to God's realness, to God's faithfulness, to God's mercy, to God's power, what you dis discover is that you want that God, you want our God to have your undivided heart. You know, with my wife, it's amazing. Courtney loves me and she prays for me. And she serves me and she encourages me. And I don't want to share any part of my heart or any part of my life with any other woman. I want her to have my undivided heart. And for us to have this moment with God where we go, man, you've been so faithful and so kind to us, God. And just like a husband and wife at the altar, us to, for, for us to go, God, we will obey you. And so we read this and, and, and God will say things like, hey, I want your holiness. And for us not to just treat those things casually. You know, for you to look in your heart, for us to look in our lives and to go, man, how am I not living holy right now? Maybe you go, man, I've got this, this porn thing that's just lingering over me. It's causing me to, to not be holy. I'm gonna get some help. Let me get some people around me to, to help put this thing to death in my life because I wanna be holy. Or maybe you look at your life and you go, man, I'm, my, I'm so loose with my language. James chapter three speaks into this, that our tongue is like this wildfire set a forest ablaze. And I go, man, how many of us have found ourselves talking about people, gossiping or slandering people? And before we know it, like this thing that was 
we thought was pretty harmful to set a whole forest on fire. And for us to go, man, God, you're, you're serious about us being holy. We want to be holy. We want to obey you. Or you discover in here where God says things like, hey, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and for us not to go, ah, that's for some people. But for us to go, no, that's what it means to be a part of his community. You know, think about Casey. I was hanging out with Casey Grissom on Thursday night and it's so cool. Casey in the summers for three weeks and he goes to Ukraine, uses his vacation. Why? to help disciple a nation that doesn't yet know Jesus. Think about my buddy Chris. I don't think Chris is here this morning. Chris is discipling the men in his workplace. I go, what, is, what does this mean? It means that we understand nothing about Deb. I think what Deb does. Works at the Boys and Girls Club right over here in our neighborhood. And for us to go, man, the, the things that you tell us in here, God, they are not suggestions. These are things that your heart is for. You tell us, hey, forgive people who hurt you. And I go, how many of us in this room are sitting here right now and there are people that we haven't forgiven? You see, this thing happens when God starts to wake us, wake us up. Where we go, God, we're serious. We want to be in this relationship with you. See, I believe that what God wants more than anything is to wake us up. Not just one of us. A fascinating side of the story is that God woke one man up, Nehemiah, but eventually the whole community wakes up. 50,000 people. And there's something about a whole community, the whole nation of Israel waking up to God. You know, Billy Graham passed away this week. I believe that Billy Graham preached the, the gospel to 200 million people live, filled up stadiums all over the world. And I go, what would it look like in our city for one day for, for Nissan Stadium not to be packed on a Sunday afternoon cheering for the Titans. What does it look like for it to be packed out? Because our city is experiencing revival. Because there are so many people that are, are coming to know the Lord that have this curiosity that, that the only venue big enough for us is a stadium. And you're going, man, that's not possible. And I don't even believe that's possible, right? And I go, but that's what was happening. 50,000 people waking up, waking up, waking up, waking up. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite us to take the next eight minutes. We can put that first slide up. Nick, thanks. I wanna invite you with the people around you. We've been doing this in this season of prayer and fasting is, is after teaching, having a time where we just pray together. We don't just wanna talk about prayer. We wanna practice it. So if you feel comfortable, I'm gonna invite you with the people around you to 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 share, hey, where is God inviting you to take some ownership? And maybe nothing spoke in, into your heart, the things I was talking about this morning, that's totally okay. But, but, but I'll invite you to share with the people around you. So maybe God is inviting you to take some ownership of your spiritual journey. Maybe you realize that you've been so dependent on your house church leader or your parents 
And you go, man, I need to start taking ownership of my journey. Or maybe you come in this morning, and you go, man, God is just convicting me that I've got to confess some sin. I've got to experience some healing and freedom. And to find someone that you feel safe sharing that with. For some of you, it might be you understanding that it's time to take ownership of your story, that you're not a sinner, but you're a son or a daughter. And others of you, maybe it's, hey, it's, it's time for me to take ownership, that, that I need to quit treating God like I'm just the, like that, that God's getting the better end of the deal in this relationship. And so I want to invite us for the next, you know, seven minutes, let's just pray for each other. Take a minute, share, share what God's stirring in your heart, share a place of, of ownership that God is inviting you into, and then let's pray. And then out of prayer, I'll, I'll come out eight minutes and call us out of that and, and pray together and send us communion. So let's take a few minutes um, and pray together. Um, I release you right now to do that. invite you just kind of sense that, that uh, God is like there's some people here that that you're going man I want God to wake me up and they're, I'm trying to do everything I can I just don't know how and, and so here's what I'm going to invite I'm going to invite Deb and invite Nana and Sam and Christina and you know Logan and Jill and Andrew and just a few people that are kind of right up here at front we're just going to kind of stand up here and if you come here today and you're like, man, I'm just doing everything I can. And I'm just like, there just doesn't seem to be breakthrough. Like, it's not like that any of these people are like, have any different connection to God than you. But there's something about just having the courage to just kind of walk up front and to say, hey, I just need some prayer. Would you just like put your hand on my shoulder and just pray for me? And so here's what we're going to do in just a minute is when we stand to go and take communion, if, if you come here and you go, I just need some prayer, come and find one of these people. Just have them just pray for you. Before we do that, you know, part of this story, it's part of our story. If we're not careful, we spend all of our time just thinking about us and we could just spend our whole lives just trying to deal with the things that are going on in our world and that would be enough. But there's something about us turning our eyes and our hearts outward to realize that, yeah, we do have stuff, but, but there's also a world out there that has stuff as well. And so, hey, will you put up that slide? And so here's the way that kind of wanted to send us into um, to our time of communion. Is there one more slide? Awesome. Yeah, so here's what we're gonna do. I wanna invite you to stand. If you're, and, and we're going to read the parts that are in bold together. I'm going to read the parts that are not in bold, regular font. Regular font. And we're just going to, to pray this out loud. And so uh, sometimes when we do these communal prayers, it can feel weird. It can feel very kind of rote. But, but think about what you're saying to God. And this is our prayer that, that God would begin to, to help us care about the things that are going on outside of these walls and the neighborhoods and homes that we live in. And so uh, you guys are going to repeat with me the, the words that are in bold. And so let's pray this. To, to God, and then I'll wrap us up in time of prayer and send us communion. So our Father in heaven, would you awaken our city to who you are? Will you break through all the places of unbelief, darkness, and rebellion with your love, goodness, and mercy? Next slide. Will you draw our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, and our co-workers to you? Use us, God. May your kingdom come in Nashville and in the United States. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, as we take communion, as we worship you, as we receive prayer, we just invite you like, to just pour out your spirit on us, to, to lift up our heads, to help us to believe in Jesus, to help us to believe and to receive all the things that you have for us. And God, we love you. Would you pour out your goodness and your love on us in this space? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.